For these women, life took an unexpected turn. What they learned about the men of their dreams threw their lives into chaos. Criminal AF will tell the stories of the unspoken victims of Robert Yates, Gary Ridgway, John Wayne Gacy, Dennis Rader, and Ted Bundy. I'm Dave Jari. I'm Garrett Quarter. And this is Criminal as Fuck. What's good, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminal AF. Once again, I am Dave Jari, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Garrett Quarter. How we doing? Now, just a quick reminder that you can become one of the debauched by joining our Patreon, or you can become a barista through Buy Me a Coffee, where you can buy us one or more coffees to help support the podcast. Uh, visit criminalafpodcast.com backslash support, or click on the link in episode description. We want to set aside a minute to support other up-and-coming podcasts, and this week's podcast spotlight is for Spread the Dread Podcast. Now, if you love Criminal AF, I have a feeling that you're going to love this one. What's up, everyone? I'm John. And I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Spread the Dread Podcast, your weekly source for serial killer stories, true crime tales, and horror movie hobnobbing. If you like the dark side of life with a lot of swearing, and humor guaranteed to get you banned from social media and family gatherings, visit SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com and come vibe with your tribe. We release brand new episodes every Wednesday. And you can find them on all major podcast platforms as well as YouTube and BitChute. But be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, too. Wow, John, uh, you just went like 45 seconds without swearing. Ah, motherfucker! Now, I, I just have to say to John and Joe that Gary and I, we actually did listen to the to the show before we agreed to do the promo swap. Yes, so we it, did. It just goes to show that, that we're just as fucked up in the head to agree to this. I, and I totally agree with what they said about us on uh, their podcast about how like they can't listen to true crime podcasts because it gets too down to the nitty gritty because it's, it's so right, true. Yeah. You get these crazy detailed stories and then it, you just get lost. It feels like you're watching another documentary and you're listening to it. Right. They're doing the same thing we were doing over yeah. there. You know what I mean? Yeah, you gotta break I it up. It. You know, just have some fun. Have some just fun tell a with quick, it. In and out story. Little bit of commentary so with your own spin on it. You can't yeah. beat it with a few fucks and shits. Yeah, and bitch, and that's that's what I love. I like in. I like the, you know I like authenticity. Yeah, and that's that's what they're doing over there. That's what we're doing over here. Yeah. So I love to shout I mean, them out. I was actually trying to work on uh, doing a collab with them. So I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be so much fun. They seem like cool people. Yeah. So maybe one day. So yeah, go check them out. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. At Spread the Dread Podcast. They're on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much all the socials. And give them a listen. So what's going on? What's going on, Garrett? How you doing? <laughs> Doing good, buddy. Yeah, I'm doing real good. I quit smoking finally. You're actually you've surprised me with how long you've gone vape free. Because man, you're just like me. This I, you breathe that you used to breathe your vape more than you would breathe air. Uh, that's right. And that's that's my problem right now. So you're giving me you're the light that is shining on me. Really? Yeah. You're my oh. inspiration right now. And, excuse me as I hit this real quick though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, hey, no, it's all good. I got to be nicotine free for my surgery coming up. Yeah. So uh, I put it off for for a little while, but now nah, I, I got to get it done. So I'm proud of you, babe. Yeah. Keep it up. Yep. So it's been, uh, God. Well, I started off chewing tobacco back in high school. And once I graduated high school, chewing, you didn't even dip. You just went to. Well, I died the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. We did oh. the, we did the chaw, the like the plug. You like bite it off. You're like, you know. Down home, fucking too. You know what I mean? Ding! Yeah, 
And uh, then I went to the dip. And then when I graduated high school, I started smoking. So that's 25 plus years ago. Now, I did cut, I did quit a couple times, you know, like a two year, three year you know, stint here and there. Yep. And, uh, but both times I went back was because I got divorced. Plus, I mean, it's a reasonable reason. Yeah, to you know. Pick up smoking again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a little crutch. But this time, I am not married. So I have nothing. Whole new look whole on my outlook. Yes. But what happens when we all get drafted to World War Three, and then uh, you have to start smoking again? Well, we're out with a little cig- cigar stub <laughs> in my mouth. Me and you will be hanging in a yeah. foxhole in Bakhmut, yeah. and all you'll see is that you'll see, I'm smoking again for sure. Yeah. You're just gonna look over in a dark. You're just gonna see me, and the cigarette ash will never move because it'll just I'll just keep chain laying. I'll be like, listen here, listen here, quarter. Listen. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Sorry. No, where know where are you going? I was gonna say. I'm just picturing myself with like a little stubbed fucking cigar hanging out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cards in your hat. <laughs> For some reason, you look like a World War II vet and a modern lawyer. You're like, I have an ace of spades in my fucking helmet. I'll be writing love notes. My dearest Abigail. <laughs> The front lines haven't moved very often. I yearn for the days I could feel your touch. I yearn for you. <laughs> I don't even know where this is going. That was funny, though. Oh. But it is a reason to start smoking again, I guess. I mean, yeah, when the world's pretty much going to fucking end. <laughs> it's, it Why seems not, right? like that lately, huh? Yeah. Just when I can finally quit smoking, the world's going to yeah. fucking end. Your UFO's going to pick you up. Yep, in UFO's. A, yeah, a balloon. Have a fucking, fucking spy balloon fucking floating over. <laughs> and then a Hellfire missile comes out. Yeah, Hellfire missile <laughs> drops. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right, back to doing what we do. For those of you joining us for the first time, this is a true crime podcast. <clears throat> there will be talk of murder. Rape. Leave that burp in, too, for me, please. <laughs> Did you just puke in your mouth? <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, I swear to god if this gets edited out, I'm gonna be pissed. Alright, keep going. Uh, that's what happens when I decide to drink. Couple Dave's a couple coronas in yeah, right now. He's willing to do anything. Couple coronas deep. We might get uh we might change it to fifty Patreon members for the Polaroids. <laughs> Just wanna take a picture. Just wanna take some pictures. Uh there will be talk of murder rape. Uh I, I shouldn't laugh during that. <clears throat> there we talk of murder, right? Torture, assault, and pretty much any crime that would haunt your nightmares at any given moment. There will be detailed descriptions of said events, and there will be some vulgar language. Like, fuck. Like, fuck. That seems wrong. That was it, you know? Yeah, I, it was good. I felt like a man when I said that. <laughs> you did. You uh, fucking yeah, grabbed got, your nuts yeah, and grabbed, fucking said uh, it. Uh, triple yeah. H- I triple H'd him. All right, here, here's, a, here's a thing we're going to try to do. For every time somebody says fuck, you got to take a drink. All right. Okay? Deal. Deal, deal, deal. All right. We understand that criminal as fuck. I already had it up. It's not for everyone. But we just ask that you at least give it a listen. If it's not for you, well, thanks for checking it out. But if it is, welcome to the debauchery. Criminal AF will be back after this quick break. What's good, everybody? Nothing says I am one of the debauched like Criminal AF apparel and merchandise. Choose from multiple designs that fit your style and your attitude. For women, for men, around the home, or at the office. You can look great repping Criminal AF wherever you go and help support the podcast as well by visiting criminalafpodcast.com backslash shop or click on the link in the episode description. Go get you some merch. Yes, sir. Mail call. Mail call. 
Every week, we send out a Ask Us Anything on Instagram and our Facebook group for a chance for your question to be answered on our episode. We have a couple today. Uh, Debbie J332. Debbie J. Says, you guys are hilarious. I could listen to you talk about how paint dries. Are there any other projects or podcasts you are going to be working on? You guys would kill it in comedy. Wow. Well, thank you. I'm not. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, thanks. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that, but, you know, <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we we actually do. We uh, Well, see, we're coming out for something for the Patreon members at first, which is just yeah. random AF. Which is going to be like a little thirty-minute thing of us just talking about random shit, world events, yeah. whatever, like literally anything yeah. and everything. The end of the world. Yeah, the end of the world. <laughs> Smoking cigarettes and Bakhmut on the front lines, <laughs> like <laughs> just anything. I don't know. Drinking Coronas. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna test that out on the Patreon members first and see if yeah. they uh, if that's something that works, and then who knows? We'll just you know. I think I think that uh, yeah, because we, we were kind of like. Shooting back and forth on that, and I th- I think that'll be actually fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know? I'd have a blast. Just like have have people like call in like random fucking topics, and we just fucking rattle them yeah. off. And they, this is what I think about fucking. We could do it, uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, yeah. Three seconds per topic, real quick, <laughs> yeah. and just go down the list. Yeah. So that'd be a good time. What do you think about Jeffrey? No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to that one. <laughs> well, I'm more concerned about who was been has been on the island. All right, hear me out. <laughs> Wait, we'll save we'll save this for the other show. Yeah, random yeah, as yeah. fuck, random as fuck. Oh, yeah, drink. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, Patreon members definitely look out, or sorry, I should say the, the debauched. Definitely yeah. watch out for that. It's coming out soon. All right, thank you very much, Debbie J. Gracious one asks, "Fuck Mary, kill." Oh yes. Wait, drink. Oh yep. All right, go ahead. Jody Arias. Uh huh. Wait, what? Fuck Mary Kill. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jody Arias. Yep. Casey Anthony. Oh. Carla Hamolka. Oh shit. <laughs> okay. That's a, okay. Wait. wait. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Listen. This is gonna. <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy. This all right. Don't. But don't. This, this is not my personal a, beliefs. I'm just this doing a this. Hard one. Okay, easy, yeah. easy. 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 All right. You easy. got it. All right. Yeah. I'm going to kill Jody, right? Oh, okay. You know, whatever. Get just yeah. get out of here. Yeah. I am going to fuck Casey Anthony because she's. That sounds so. Drink. <laughs> that sounds so wrong to say. And but, but let's Kelly. be. Let's Kelly. <laughs> let's be honest. Let's yeah. be honest. Casey seems like she's a good time. Oh, she likes yeah, to party. Yeah, all right. Yeah, well, she yeah. like she doesn't want to be at home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. She wants to be held. She doesn't want to be <laughs> she doesn't held be. down by and then, daily demands. And then sorry, what's her name? Uh, uh, Carla Hamolka. Carla. I'm, I'm, and then I have to say I'm marrying Carla because she's down. You know, she she definitely supports her husband at the end of the day. Yeah. She's, you can, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. So I will fuck Jody Arias, marry Carla. Yeah. You know, because like you, like you said, she's down for a hub, <coughs> and kill Casey Anthony. Is you can't get past the kid thing? No, <laughs> no, she does. <laughs> Maybe no. I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. She's the best looking one, I think, out of all of them. <sighs> I don't know. I'm not. Man. I'm not. I don't. There's no conversation involved. See, Jody's a freak. All right, Jody's a freak. Okay. 
Carla, you know, like you said, she's down for the hubs. She'll do whatever. Yeah. And Casey, I don't know. Yeah, it, no, I get bitch, it. I mean, I get it. Whatever. I know she was acquitted and everything. Whatever. Bullshit. Yeah, she didn't do anything. No. All right. Yeah. <laughs> she needs to like not be breathing. So, so that's my answer. Well, thank you very great, much. Great, great, thanks for the question, buddy. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the question. That's a real. One. That's a real one that makes us all look real good out of here at Criminal AF. It is funny. I though. love. Yeah, I love it. Thank it you. Is funny, though. All right. Let's go to Florida. All right, this one's a this one's a wild one, Dave. So uh, buckle up. Military man charged with biting three preteen girls after a slumber party at a Florida base. Wait, what? <laughs> no, you got you, you got to do that one more time. What? Military man charged with biting three preteen girls after slumber party at Florida base. Yeah. It, what in the actual fuck? It started as playtime. You just doing this on purpose now. It started as playtime for three girls and wasn't supposed to end with bite marks near their buttocks. <laughs> what an what a opening to an article. How? Oh. I have so many fucking questions. Alleg- right, go ahead. Allegedly. 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 The friends had a sleepover last Saturday, January 21st, and after breakfast the next day they were play wrestling in one of their rooms and biting each other. Kind of weird. For the, the kids were. Yeah, the, kid, the, okay. the preteen girls. Police said all three told them in separate statements what happened next. That Craig Hucker walked in. Craig Hucker. That Craig Hucker walked in and joined them in a wrestling match. According to get, uh, according to the arrest report, the 29-year-old man bit the preteen girls in various places and even licked one of them. Who's the adult in this fucking house? Dude, I don't know. I mean, it gets worse. The alleged victims are his girlfriend's daughter and two of her friends. Okay, so it's not their real dad. That there's there's the first red flag. Uh, each had bite marks on their thighs, under their rear ends, and on their knees. <laughs> oh my god! What? Each told police Hucker made a few sexual statements after wrestling with them. Dude, where? Like, what would you do if you're like if you were at a sleepover? Even put it in a, in a, a, a boy's perspective. If the if the mom came in and said, "All right, we'll just change it completely." Hey, boys, you want to wrestle? And she started biting your ass. <laughs> The police report said one of the girls brought up furries. Hucker began sexualizing Wait, them. Wait, furries? Yeah. You know what furries are, right? Yeah, we, yeah. Oh, Olaf. Right. Yeah, yes. No, well, yeah, but furries are, it's a convention, it's a lifestyle. I know. Okay. All right, Hucker began sexualizing them by talking about pet play and butt plugs to fucking pre-teen girls, dude. I don't even know how to fucking react to this story. Then he told one of them that she should change out of her bikini bottoms and put on shorts because bad things happen to girls when they wear such revealing clothing. Later, he allegedly suggested two of the girls leave and one of them should stay. How Dude, old is this guy? Creepy. We're definitely going to throw his picture so everybody knows how to look out Fuck for this. Fuck this. How, how, drink. how old is this guy? After that, the girls told police that, all, that they all left and rode their bikes out of the military base. Hucker is in the Coast Guard and went to tell one of their mothers what happened. One of the victims said that wasn't the first time Hucker was inappropriate with her. According to police report, Hucker first touched one of the girls when she was seven or eight. She told police when it happened, she was scared and didn't feel so she could say no to him. She said he touched her and made her take her clothes off. She told police he would use his mouth and that it happened a couple of times. She never told anyone, but the incident with her friends triggered her to speak. 
Police questioned Hucker and said he denied joining in the wrestling match, talking about butt plugs and sexualizing furries. According to the report, he told police that he said furries was an adult thing they should not speak about in public because he doesn't mean it doesn't mean what they think it means. He admitted to having one of the girls change because they prefer not wearing revealing clothing in their house. When police asked about the biting allegations, Hucker did not have to answer them. Hucker was arrested on Monday, January 23rd, and he was charged with three counts of child abuse and three counts of battery. I'm going to say, I will tell you this right now. This is one of the reasons why me and my wife are, like, so stringent on, like, let her, like, like, let my daughter's friends, like, when they get older, come to our house to sleep over. Like, I'm I'm good with sending my right. kid over. Yeah, yeah. Because parents, there's some crazy stories. Like, my, back when I was growing up, my, my, I, my friend's parent, my friend's mom would like lie to my mom and be like yeah they're just hanging out here all night and then we go off gallivanting in the night and all that stuff yeah. so I know that there's parents out there that will lie and just don't give a shit right so it's like I, the to to know that this happened I uh, I uh, I'm fucking I'm floored yeah oh uh, like when you first when you first cause like I said you know a lot of times we don't yeah, I don't know what's going to be discussed here. Like when you first said the title, um, you were like, you know, guy bites three girl, you know. Yeah. I'm thinking, fuck, you know, at a, like some party or something. I'm like, ha ha ha, that's funny. You yeah. Know? No, no, it's it's, it's the, the it's preteen the... girls at a slumber party. At a slumber party, and her mom's boyfriend comes in and says, "Hey, can you guys want to wrestle?" What a weirdo, dude. Yeah. Like yeah, when, when my kids were younger, uh, for those of you who don't know, I have, I have two biological sons, and I also raised uh, three stepdaughters, and. From the time they're single digit age to teens, and like when they got into that age group where they people they start having sleepovers and everything like that, like I had to meet the parents. Oh yeah, like one on one, not like talk on the phone. Yeah, like, I had you, to actually. You sure they're gonna be okay? Yeah, you sure? You know, okay, I'll be by 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 noon. My no. boyfriend's in the military. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend he likes to play furry games. No, I actually had to meet these fucking parents. And if I got any like vibe whatsoever, like no, you're not. They can sleep over here. No, you're not going over there. Yeah, like, I mean, no. And and you'd be. There's a couple parents out there that were very questionable. No, for sure. Yeah, it's just that's that's creepy. That's a that's a weirdo to the max. And I, I bet you that happens more often than people realize too. Like creepy boyfriends or like you know what I mean. Like I understand. I just put myself in the category of the of the stepfather, but. I I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that I wasn't that stepfather. Hey no. girls, you want to yeah. come no. wrestle? No, no, never, never, never crossed my mind. Uh... Nope, nope. But yeah, fuck that dude. I hope he gets fucking raped in prison. Piece of shit. All right. So this episode, we're going to talk about the unspoken victims, the wives, the girlfriends of serial killers. Uh, we could basically. Call them the Lonely Lonely Hearts Club. <laughs> the Lonely Hearts Club. Lonely Hearts Club. I don't know, but it's it's actually pretty sad that they're they're trusting, they're raising a family. You would think that your husband is doing what he should be doing as a husband, and they're not. I can also see it too, where they are kind of oblivious and they don't want to see the truth. Yes, in, I like my life. Cases. I like my life. I just whatever. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get. Jump right into the first chapter with the wife of Robert Yates. On 
on this episode, I'd like to do things a little different. Guys, bear with me, but I would like to talk to the women for a minute. Ladies, I would like for you to take a moment and picture the man of your dreams. He is smart, handsome, strong, and charming. He's a romantic, kind, devout, and hardworking. He is a great father, and your family and friends love him. Can you see him? He is just perfect. Now I'm going to tell you that the man you just envisioned is callous, a narcissist, a liar, a manipulator, a rapist, and a serial killer. Your entire life comes crashing down because the man you envisioned was nothing but a cold-blooded killer and you were just a pawn, a cover story for him to go about his murderous ways. Pretty shitty, huh? This episode, we are going to take a step away from the usual stories and take a look at the unspoken victims these psychopaths left behind to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. Some of these women change their names and now live their lives in obscurity, while others bear their emotional wounds for all to see. But they all have one thing in common, the reality that the love of their life was a monster. Men who are incapable of truly reciprocating their love and destroy their lives in the process. One has to wonder though, throughout their relationships, were they really that naive to believe the lies that they were being told? Is love really that blind? You be the judge. There have now been a total of seven such killings since 1990. Detectives say DNA collected from all nine bodies matches that of this man, Robert Lee Yates. For Linda Yates, being married for 26 years had its ups and downs. She had separated from her husband, Robert Yates, a transport pilot in the U.S. Army, twice during this time. The first time, because she learned Robert had drilled a hole in the attic wall so he could spy on the neighbors having sex. The second time, she took her children and left town. They remained separated for a year and a half until pressure from the children for reconciliation forced her to move back to Spokane, Washington. The romance was over, but she felt she had to do what was right by her children. What followed was nothing short of bizarre. For years, Linda was responsible for ensuring the bills were paid, and suddenly, Robert was throwing the bills into the fireplace. This began to pique her curiosity. She got a hold of a credit card statement and noticed there were charges to Al's spa tub, a seedy motel with jacuzzi tubs where they charge you by the hour. Linda confronted Robert and asked him if he was having an affair. He claimed that he went to the hotel because the tub relaxed his muscles after working 12-hour shifts. Her suspicion didn't wane, however. Robert would tell Linda he was going hunting, but he would always be wearing cologne and nice clothes. If she thought that adultery was the worst of their problems, she was wrong. Robert became more and more shady. During an event for the army, friends of Robert were surprised to learn that he was married. 
He was known to be flirtatious with women and would introduce himself as James Bond. Robert had drained the savings account after numerous ATM withdrawals and things began to cool in the bedroom, with Robert claiming that he was impotent. Linda attributed his impotence to stress, but noticed that he kept buying violent orgy films and even asked her if she would like to explore a swinger lifestyle. But that's not all. He came home one day and the back seat in the family van was soaked in blood. The whole family saw this, and Robert said it was from a dog that he had hit and taken to the vet. Strange happenings continued to build up, and whether she cast him aside because of love, for the children, or for stability, she never would have imagined what the truth was about to reveal. Robert was arrested in 2000. She was confused as to why the police had come to search her home, that is, until the police discovered the body of Melody Murphin buried in the backyard just outside their bedroom window. In all, Robert had been convicted of two murders in 1975, one in 1988, and ten murders in the late 90s. He is currently the main person of interest in three other murders, as well as an attempted murder. Remember when he came home that night and he said he hit a dog and there was blood yeah, all over I the back of the van? Yeah, I remember asking him about it. I was like, what happened there? I instantly ran into a dog and uh, I had to set it on the back of, you know, there was a fold-out bed and I had to set it there and take it to the vet. I saw the blood, the stain. It was Excuse on the me. back of the van, in the back seat of the van. I just turned around in the middle, one of the middle chairs that were in the van and I was like, what's that spot from? And that's what his excuse was, was about the dog getting hurt and it was really bloody. That's what he told me. And he said, I just couldn't get all the blood out. I tried and it's still stained and it's good. And I, and I remember the smell too. I remember the nasty, there was a smell. It didn't go away. It was just permanently on that. I know I was right there where he had laid a body. It was just disturbing. So Linda Yates. Yes. I mean, uh, you can't say she wasn't a hard worker. She was. She tried. She tried to reconnect. Yeah. You did. know, I I don't know if I'd be able to get back with my husband after I found him peepholing our neighbors and watching them have sex. That's kind of. Yeah. I, I, or I, going to spas. The spa thing would be the the last straw. One hundred percent. Back hurt. Peeping, maybe I could get over. You know what I mean? Like, oh, he's just you know he's he's in he's he's curious he's a voyeur yeah you know whatever but going to spas and that charge by the hours yeah yeah that's a no that's a no-go for me yeah, yeah. but you know she tried she stuck with him you know this brings up like a whole whole thing like when one spouse is trying to hold up not only their side of the marital agreement but also trying to pull for the, for the other one you know what i mean yeah it's got to be 50 50 right and this is going on for years and years and years and years and years yeah. like when do you draw the line you know as what? soon as there's a charge for Al's, what what was it? Oh, Al's, Al's spa's tub. <laughs> what kind of what? Like that's a red flag right there. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to Al's spa tub. Today. That would be. <laughs> but there 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 has to be like you know it's it, but when there's kids involved, you know sure. it's like oh you know I, mean, I know people that stick it together stick. Like I've I've been in, in a situation where I actually had to swallow my pride for the betterment of the children, and I will say. 
for everybody listening, it never fucking works. <laughs> I I try to put myself in in a situation right. where I could be like, uh, I I I could never say that I I would I wouldn't and I wouldn't because I've never been in that situation. So I I think until people are there with children, yes. That's the only time you're gonna. T- you can say it, and you're, you can until you're red in the face. Oh, I'm leaving. I'd walk out of there if there's any disrespect, this and that. But you never, you never know until you you put your, yourself. I, in the- yeah, and when you have younger children, it's it's harder to walk away. I will say that because regardless of of you know what what's being done to you or what's being what you perceive as being done, um, is not worth quote-unquote destroying the lives of little kids. You know what I mean? You, you know what's funny about that, too, though? But when they get older, when they're teenagers, sure. Yeah. See, but I, I don't... I feel like it would be... It's. I feel like kids have it harder. Like, divorce hits kids harder when they're 12, 13, 14. Like, it, se- it seems like, just from, like, the people I know and the... Vision, like, it, the, their divorce hits harder than kids that are super young. I feel like, like little kids are super resilient. Tragedy and all that stuff, they... Yeah. They bounce back so fast over time. They do. Where, like, if, like, even, like, losing a parent for a situation, like, yeah. you know, kids that are 12, 13, 14, who have known that relationship, been, like, they, it hits them way harder than a, a three, four, five-year-old. Yeah, I, I can see that. Which is, like, but in, in our adult brains, we think the opposite. Right. Oh, it'd be so much easier if they were 16, 17. Well, having been through both, like, uh, both age groups, so to speak. Uh, my first wife and I, we got when we divorced. Uh, my my children were six and three. They're young. Young. Now every single night, I would talk to my kids and on the phone, and it would be bloody murder getting off the phone, screaming and crying. Oh, you know, dropping the kids off on after visitation. Uh, when your when your three year old son is clinging for life onto your neck poof you know because he doesn't want to leave yeah it, it's uh, yeah it's, it's they're, they're more resilient I guess you know because you know he's three I, if you ask my if you ask my son now he's 22 if you ask him now if he remembers any of that he doesn't yeah you know I do I remember oh, like of course that's, that's gonna be embedded in your it's, you know what I mean yeah, that'll be on your deathbed you'll be fuck, yeah house. I mean it's awful but in my second marriage you know the kids were you know, older. My wife and I at the time didn't have any biological children together. You know, I was a step parent. I had Mike's sons, but they can see that kids aren't kids aren't dumb. No, no, especially no, no. kids nowadays. Twelve yeah. from, <laughs> yeah. from twelve up. Yeah, they're not a twelve-year-old nowadays is basically like an eighteen-year-old. Right. They can see what's going on. They know yeah. that you know shit's not fucking working. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I would say young. I mean, for me personally, I like I said, younger. It's, it's hard. It's fucking awful. It is awful. Like my my wife cheated on me and everything like that. At, you know, back then, uh, if I would have forgiven fucking everything, maybe not forgiving, I would have overlooked the transgressions just so I didn't have to deal with my son clinging to my neck every time oh. I had to let him go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would have bit that bullet. Obviously, the marriage wouldn't have worked down no. the road, but. For that time being, yeah, there's always going to be resentment there, right? Deep down, you'll always you'll always have ammo, right? So yeah. Now we just went off on a fucking tangent. I think we covered every single fucking topic here tonight. Yeah, yeah. Drink. <laughs> wow, we just went into the depths of Dave Jari's soul here for a no, second. Okay, okay. Well, well, let's get back to Linda then. Let's okay. get back to Linda. Um, 
I mean, she, she stuck it through at least, and and it's and look, it didn't work out because she ended up leaving. Yeah, she ended up leaving with the quote unquote dog blood in the family van. Yeah, <laughs> the dog blood. <laughs> All right, so next up would be Judith Mawson, who was the wife of the Green River Killer Gary Ridgway. Oh, that's a lot of kills. July 1982, a woman's body is found in the Green River. Her name, Wendy Caulfield. No one knew it then, but she was the first victim of a brutal serial killer. Four more women's bodies turned up in August. They'd been strangled. Most of them worked the streets around the SeaTac Strip. By the late 80s, more than 50 women were either dead or missing, but the identity of their killer remained a mystery. Judith Mawson was deeply in love with her perfect husband. He would go out of his way to make her smile every day, so when police told her that her handsome, polite husband had been arrested for 70 murders, her world came crashing down. Her husband was none other than Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. How, she wondered. But then she looked back to a moment when she went to his house for the first time, and what she saw was odd. His house had all the carpets removed, and the bedroom had nothing but a box spring and a mattress. Gary explained to her that the previous tenants had damaged the carpets, and his ex-girlfriend took the furniture. She believed him at the time, but 16 years later, she learned the truth. He removed everything from his house because it was all soaked with blood from the numerous victims he had there. She recalls meeting Gary in a bar, and he was nothing short of a gentleman. He treated her extremely well and was always very affectionate with her. They had dated for two years and lived together for one before they decided to get married. Seems like an ample amount of time to learn if your significant other is a homicidal maniac. Judith says that they had an ordinary life. Gary would go to work during the week and on weekends they would go camping or go to yard sales. Nothing gave her the impression that he was what he was. It was rare that Gary wouldn't be home when he should have been. On occasion, he would leave real early or arrive late, but it was always something that had to do with work, or so she was told. When she found out that the love of her life was a serial killer, she fell into a downward spiral as the news hit her like a ton of bricks. She changed her name, her hair color, and buried herself in alcohol and pills. Now sober with a new identity, she has found some solace knowing that during her time with Gary Ridgway, his killing wasn't as frequent as there were only four murders while they were together. So in essence, her loving Gary saved lives. I was still in just such denial. Then I felt the, the anger that he had sex with someone else, that he um, hurt me, that he betrayed me. He said he did not do anything with those women but then when I found the condoms and stuff then I realized that he did oh I'd say why you son of a bitch why did you do this to me why did you put me through all this
I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm that guy's not getting a second date. No, there's <laughs> no second date. There's no second date. You got a box spring on the ground and no yeah. furniture. That's a, like what? Yes. She was like, oh, okay, I guess. She's like, well, I, I guess that all makes sense. And now that poor woman has to live with the fact that she probably relives that first day every time when she found out he killed 70 people yeah. at the end of this. Let me tell you, because that, that shit worked. I mean, like, whenever, when, when the ultimate fucking shit fucking hits the fan, there's a, there's a time where you, where you take, like, you know, a moment of reflection and be like, where could I have fucking just, like, not been a part of this? Yeah. Where could I have not wasted all of these fucking years of my life? And when you look back at this story, <laughs> it it's when you show up to fucking no fucking carpet yeah. on the floor. Yep. The 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 murder hotel or ba- motel, basically. Yeah. She's like, ah, he's nice. Yeah. He's, he seems, seems like a nice guy. He paid for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he paid for dinner. He paid for dinner. Well, I was going to put out on the first date, but all he has is a box spring. <laughs> That's my rule. <laughs> Only mattresses. If it's a, if there's just one, if, uh, if there's mattress on the floor, not on the first date. I also love the way that you ended the chapter two with, uh, so in essence, her loving Gary saved lives. Well, that's <laughs> he, what she thought. He's still, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever makes you think, whatever helps you cope at night, because he he, she, he yeah. still killed four people when uh, right when he was with her. Yeah. So yeah, it was just it was just a I mean, nice. Technically, little... it, it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, another thing too is you got to realize that why was I so special? Yeah. Why was I the one that you met that night, and I, you decided and you to, to kill me? marry me and yeah. not become one of the victims? Now here's a question that I'm going to bring up. It's going to sound kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. Would it be why am I so special? You didn't kill me, or why why wasn't I special enough to be killed? Oh, imagine it goes that way. Imagine it's like you actually are mad. Because I, th- I always thought that, you know. Like, I wasn't like these other girls. Right. Like, when you look at all these killers and stuff, they they, they have a type. For sure. Okay. Uh, whatever type is fucking, it, it sets them off. It's sexually gratifying. It's sets off some sort of fucking twisted. Primal. Fucking primal thing in their brain. You know what I mean? So if you're the wife or the girlfriend of a serial killer and they don't kill you are you are, have you were you attracted to me the whole time do i not do it for you <laughs> I mean, could you could you imagine getting I'm, like, I'm, I'm petty enough to like why did you not kill me i mean what the fuck oh my god that's like an snl skit that's an snl skit right there like um, her getting mad like am i not good <laughs> enough for you <laughs> but i mean if you actually think about it you behind know I mean? the glass <laughs> yeah. like just bitching up a storm yeah. you know you're a real piece of shit you're, like, i knew you love blondes yeah, i knew i asked you if you wanted me to dye my hair blonde and you said no yeah you know what <laughs> fuck you oh drink oh that's an snl skit and a half right there <laughs> seriously though man you know yeah uh, i don't know yeah it's almost insulting to like live yeah you know? yeah no i'm with you i yeah. get it i yeah. never really thought about it that way from that way well that's just uh, where my mind goes all right Next up, we'll go to John Wayne Gacy's second wife, Carol. And this one is a... Mm, I don't know. Let's listen in. For some of us, being married to someone who has an ex-spouse can be difficult. But when they have also been convicted of sodomizing a teenage boy, you're destined to be in for a rude awakening. 
This was the case for Carol Hoff when she married John Wayne Gacy in 1972, exactly around the time he went from a child rapist to a sadistic serial killer. Even though Carol was well aware of Gacy's past conviction, she believed he was reformed, so much so that she entrusted him to be around her two daughters. Things began to take a turn, though. John began bringing home teenage boys to hang out and do odd jobs around the house. One in particular lived with Carol and John for some time. Then came the smell, the awful, putrid odor of rotting flesh that spread throughout the house. Carol would press Gacy about where the smell could be coming from. His response? He had recently killed a bunch of rats in the crawl space below their home. Now, I had been married before, and I know damn well my wife at the time wouldn't just let that be, especially if the odor constantly lingered. But for Carol, she accepted this answer and continued to live with the smell. Then came the news. Teenage boys from their neighborhood went missing or were found dead one right after the other, including the young man that had lived with Carol and John. By 1975, their relationship was in a spiral. Although Gacy came across as an upstanding member of their community, inside the home, he was anything but. He was short-tempered and abusive with Carol, and eventually told her that he was bisexual. From that moment, they stopped having sex. Gacy began staying out at all hours of the night and their home became cluttered with pornography. And the smell. The smell was still ever-present. In 1976, Carol had enough and filed for a divorce, but not because she had thought he had reverted back to his old ways. She was just tired of his tirades and lack of respect for her. It wasn't until two years later, in 1978, when John Wayne Gacy was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of a 15-year-old boy, that she would learn of what he was really up to, and the realization that the smell coming from their basement wasn't from dead rats, but from the decaying bodies of nearly 30 young men. He got a much easier death than any of his victims. In my opinion, he got an easier death than he deserved. But the important thing is, that he paid for his crimes with his life. Carol's the one where, you know, I, and I said in the beginning of the story where I was like, sometimes it's just, you don't even feel bad for him because yeah. you're like, how oblivious are you? Like, I like my life. I'm just going to. I'm just going to ignore everything around me, including yeah. the smell of 30 fucking rotting bodies in the basement. If you, if you talk, I mean, I've watched a lot of documentaries in my yeah. day, a lot of police interviews and stuff. Every single one of them said you cannot mistake the smell, smell of, a dead body. of a dead body. There's no way you have, I don't even know at this, whatever, at point 20 plus at that point where she, yeah. where she was with him. Uh, who knows? What did it end up with, with uh, John Wayne? He was 30 something, right? 30. Still 20 plus dead bodies. Wait, 30. I think it was 36, 32 at the house, 20 something under the, under the crawl space. The others were in the backyard. Were in the backyard, and four, four or five, he dumped God, over. The John, people don't, you know, you got to put some respect on John Wayne Gacy's name, name, man. He was, uh, he was definitely prolific. Yeah. Uh yeah, but Carol. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I did say this in the story that I mean, obviously, I've said it before. I've, I've been married, and to very. Uh, strong-willed women, I should say. 
there. <laughs> oh, okay. Very, okay, strong-willed. And there is no fucking way in hell that I or her would be living in a house that smelled of rot. No, yeah, same here. She would be like, I don't care what the fuck you, you gotta do. do. I'm calling. Yeah. I know my wife. She would call somebody. If I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I killed something in the, the yeah. crawl space. There would be somebody here right. that she paid that she called to and be then like she would call she would call my manhood into question yep. being like oh if you can't do it I'll get somebody else who can yeah, do it yeah, yeah. I'll get real somebody in here how could you live like it's yeah. dead it's no and she's just rotting like rotting flesh she's like oh I just killed a bunch of rats and she's like well, no that that seems plausible yeah. okay we did have I saw a rat once yeah and, and out of all things that made her leave the bisexual thing come on there was a lot of red flags in the John Wayne Gacy house. She was still with him for a little bit. I know, but like that, but I mean, you could tell after that they stopped having sex. Right. Their relationship went downhill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't. That, that's the least of your worries that he came out and said, "Yeah, you know, right. guys are kind of cute." Yeah, and the correlation between the house smelling like fucking rotting flesh and the disappearance of <laughs> all these fucking young men. Yeah, that were at the house. That were at your house. Yeah. You know, oh, you want some lemonade? Here you go. <laughs> Oh, what the fuck? That guy was just here two years ago. He's yeah. dead now? What Timmy the? Timmy just died. Man, damn. Jimmy died too? Oh, shit. With all these kids that were here? Yeah, like, what the fuck? But, but, you know, God forbid he likes men. Oh, nope, yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's the final straw. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she hung around for, uh, you know what they say about clowns. <laughs> what, do they, what do they say about clowns? <laughs> uh, honk, honk. I don't know. <laughs> So the lesson of this segment, ladies and gentlemen, is that if your significant other tells you that the wretched smell of death is because you killed a rat, um, get the fuck out of the house, drink. So next up we will discuss uh, Garrett's favorite. Yeah, fuck him. The... Mrs. Paula Raider. Criminal AF will be back after this quick break. Paula Raider was happily married for 34 years. Like Judith Mawson, Paula found the man of her dreams. Polite, respectable, a great father and husband, and president of their local church. She would have never fathomed that her husband, Dennis Rader, would be the person who was responsible for inflicting fear in the community for over 30 years and would become known as the notorious BTK. Not that there weren't any clues. Dennis Rader liked to taunt the police and media, often writing letters and making 911 calls to report his murders, and it wasn't kept from the public. The news would often replay his 911 confessions and even displayed his letters. One would think this would have raised a red flag especially if you spent every day and night with the person responsible. It did, sort of. While watching the evening news with Dennis one night, they displayed one of BTK's letters. Paula mentioned to Dennis that BTK had the same writing as him, to which he replied, Oh, really, honey? What a coincidence. Another aha moment occurred shortly after the murder of Shirley Relford, which was all over the news. Paula came across a poem Dennis had written that went into detail about the murder of Shirley. When she questioned him about it, Rader would explain that it was for a class he was taking at Wichita State University. 
the police would soon receive this very poem from BTK titled, Shirley Locks. In Paula's defense, it wasn't like Dennis was consistently doing things to raise suspicions. The BTK murders were sporadic to say the least. There were six in 1974, two in 1977, and one each in 1985, 1987, and 1991. And then, silence. It wasn't until 2004 when police heard from BTK again. Dennis Rader's alter ego couldn't contain himself. After a story aired about the 30th anniversary of the unsolved Otero murders, many thought BTK had died or was too old, explaining why 13 years of silence had passed. This enraged him, and he sent 11 communications to media outlets along with items that he collected from his victims. His arrogance is what led to him being caught. For Paula, her entire world exploded. She was home the day he was arrested. She had made lunch for her and her husband and she waited patiently for him to arrive, but Dennis wasn't coming through the door. Instead, police burst through with guns drawn and a search warrant. A week later, their lunch still sat uneaten at the table, because after that day, Paula never stayed at the house again. And then when I went back, uh, Josephine had woke back up. What did you do then? And I took her to the basement and eventually uh, hung her. You hung her in the basement? Yes, sir. Did you do anything else at that time? Yes, I, uh, I had some sexual fantasies. But that was uh, after she was hung. All right, now with Paula Rader, she was married for several years. And this, this his murder spree spread out decades. So I, I can understand, you know, how when, when little things like seem a little odd, you know, probably wouldn't, like, stand out so much, you know, because they've been get together for so long. Like, she caught him dressed in women's clothing, you know, like, doing his bondage and stuff. She refused. She was like, do not do this in the house. So he started renting hotel rooms where he would photograph himself in bondage, you know, just to fucking get himself off. Yeah, that's, that's a very old school, like, 19, yeah. 1950s housewife way about it. Right. Don't oh, do it in this God, thing. the Lord's going to see this. <laughs> Go, just go to the hotel and do this, yeah, sweetheart. Yeah, like, yeah. I like my life. I like my life. Yeah. I like my life. And, you know, then there was like a couple other red flags, you know, where, where they showed a letter from BTK on the news. And she was like, oh, honey, that looks like your handwriting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Weird. Whoa. A little coincidence. Oh, oh, that, that recording? That kind of sounds like your, your voice. Hmm. Nah, I don't, know what you, I don't know what you're talking about, honey. Oh, there's a chest in my closet. Don't go through it yes. ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. That She's, box in I my can, in my head. I can see it. I can see her cleaning around it. Yeah, dusting. <laughs> do, 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 do. Oh, oh, I'm not gonna look at. Let me tell you something. If somebody says, "Hey, <laughs> don't look in that box," guess what I'm fucking doing? I'm looking in that box. I'm looking in the, the box. The first chance yeah. I get. As Sorry. soon as I see you pull out, I look through the blinds. Yeah. And you're pulling your car, your cars out of the driveway. I'm right. upstairs. Do, 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 yeah. do, 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 do. Now, you know, it's one thing if, like, your friend or whatever, hey, do me a favor, don't look in that box. Eh, I kind of, I probably won't look in your box because, because I, I don't know what kind of freaky shit you have in there. I don't want to know that about you. But if my wife. Oh, come on. But if my come wife. Come on, okay, here's I bullshit. Do, I do. Bullshit. I do. All right, all right. If I had a box upstairs, I said, Dave, this is my special box. You can't look through it. You know I, what? I would not look through it. Stop. I you would not look through st- it. Oh, because I'm looking at yours. Are you? Yeah. I am. Yeah. 
I'm not looking through your box. But if I'm married or have a you know girlfriend for a significant amount of years, and they're like, oh, by the way, I'm like um, I'm starting this box, but don't look in it. Yeah. Because I don't want you to, you know. Whatever. But see, here's the plot twist too. What if she looked in it the whole time and knew what was going on? Like that, like that's what I mean. Like you, you're going off of witness statements and this stuff. I don't think she did. Dude. I, I'm, I'm with you. Like I could tell that she has that very like go to the hotel and do that because I feel like she'd get nervous. There's gonna be yeah. pictures of him with, with, uh, with bondage on and all that right, stuff. Right, right, so right. maybe she didn't. Yeah. But, but at the same time, she could have looked in it the whole time and known that he was doing these things, these things, and just kept it in the back of her head. You, we'll never know. It's, it's, just, it's witness. You know it's what I mean? Possible. It's all witness statements. But what, the the whole thing is is that makes me doubt that is that when she was expecting him home for lunch and he never arrived, but the police come fucking barging in with their fucking guns drawn, you know, and she comes to find out that fuck, this dude's been fucking killing people. What? And she never returned to the house ever. You did, know? did she change her uh, identity? Uh, I believe so. I believe that... she did. Yes. Yeah, because that I mean that's a pretty substantial last name to have. Raider, yeah, yeah. Oh, are you related to Dennis Raider, the BTK, the BTK killer, yeah. yeah, the the worst piece of shit in yeah. <laughs> all the land. Are you were you married to that guy who jerked off on a nine year old girl's dead body? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some cookies. Oh my god! Imagine trying to go to, like get your hair done. With uh, all, the, the, like, all the gossiping hairdressers. <laughs> oh, that poor girl. Actually, I'm so bad. What if you change your name and, and they're like talking about it? Oh, like what a sick fuck! <laughs> His wife is so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like her name's Paula Raider, and she changed it to like Paula Smith, and she's in there getting her fucking hair done. And they're like, "Yeah, about this fuck." Raw, Rolla Prater. Raw, Prater. How you doing? I'm Debbie Smith. What's your name? Rolla Prater. <laughs> <laughs> I could. T- <laughs> That's a good one. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> it's like a horrible cover-up <laughs> disguise. It's like she's it's just like, wearing glasses with the nose. It's like the it's like when two you know how like they in the old movies when the two the kids stack on top of each other yeah. in a trench coat. <laughs> in a trench coat. <laughs> They're trying to get an R-rated movie. <laughs> two tickets, one ticket, sir. <laughs> one ticket, sir. <laughs> and they're just He's holding the newspaper with the eyeballs cut out. Yeah. Roll up, Raider. Roll up. All right. Rolla. <laughs> Sorry if we blew your cover, Rolla. Oh, oh man. All right. <laughs> We've totally fucking bashing these people. Oh, I feel so bad. All right. Now, all these ones, all these women that we've talked about, you know, they kind of turned a blind eye to what was going on. Now, this next one, uh, she actually tried to put an end to this man's reign of terror. But please ignore her here in the last chapter. Bundy is being guarded in a second floor cell and last night was taken out for another session with Tallahassee Detective Sergeant Ben Rosar. We've heard his life story, said Rosar. He's telling us everything but what we want to know. I'm holding my breath. 
What they want to know about is the January 15th strangling of two co-eds and the beatings of three others here at the Chi Omega sorority house on the Florida State University campus. It was in October of 1969 when 24-year-old Elizabeth Klepfer, a divorced mother of one, and a friend went to the Sandpiper Tavern in Seattle, Washington for a girls' night out. It was just an ordinary night until across the room was a man she instantly locked eyes with. She went to the jukebox to play a song when the man took her coin and chose the song. He introduced himself as Ted and he asked her to dance. Her entire world changed from that moment forward. Her relationship with Ted Bundy was straight out of a fairy tale. He was charming, romantic, passionate, loving, and he was great with her daughter, quickly accepting her as his own. The chemistry between them was intense. For Elizabeth, this was a match made in heaven, but not for long. It didn't take long for Elizabeth to start noticing strange items around Ted's apartment. She found plaster of Paris, crutches, a hatchet, which were easily explained away by Ted. The plaster of Paris? You never know when you're gonna break a leg. The crutches? They were left behind by my landlord. The hatchet? I needed to cut down a tree for my parents. She also found women's underwear and gas receipts showing he had taken long road trips without her knowledge. When Elizabeth pressed Bundy about this, he replied, If you ever tell anyone about this, I'll break your fucking neck. Their relationship was a roller coaster to say the least. Four months after first meeting, they applied for a marriage license. Perhaps a blessing in disguise, Bundy used this as another in a long line of emotional abuse. After an argument, Bundy grabbed the marriage license and ripped it up in front of Elizabeth. And not long after, she became pregnant. Bundy expressed his enthusiasm, but not because a bundle of joy was on its way, because of his ability to produce a child. He convinced Elizabeth that this was not the right time to have a baby. She needed to work to put him through law school. So Elizabeth made an appointment to end the pregnancy. While she had her suspicions of Ted's infidelity, it wasn't until she saw a news report of two women who had gone missing from Lake Sammamish State Park. In the news report, one of the girls was witnessed talking to a man named Ted who had a cast on his arm and drove a Volkswagen Beetle, the same car Bundy drove. She recalled the plaster of Paris and the hatchet that he kept in his car and reported her suspicions to the police, who dismissed her claims. Bundy eventually moved away to Utah to attend law school, and I'm sure you know what happens next. Shortly after he was arrested and charged with the murders of two women at Florida State University, she was done with the lies. Through a telephone conversation, Bundy confessed to her. She asked him if there was ever a time that he tried to kill her. Bundy said yes, one night when she was sleeping. He ever tried to tell me, he told me that one incident that he did. I used to sleep on a height of bed by the fireplace in the living room, and he closed the damper. I was drunk that night, and closed the damper. He put towels under the door, and then he left. And he told me that he'd been really trying hard to control the sickness, and that he'd been staying off the streets and trying to be normal. And that just happened that I was there when he when he felt it coming on and, and that he wanted to kill me that night. 
He closed the flue to the fireplace and the room began to fill with smoke. He placed wet towels around the doors and he left. I had prayed for so long to know and now the answer killed a part of me. Elizabeth cut off all ties with Ted and eventually wrote a book about her life with him. She now lives in obscurity and wants nothing to do with the public eye. We could use all of the cliches, like love is blind, ignorance is bliss, or hindsight is 2020. But what we have to understand is that these women are only guilty of loving the wrong man. Men who are experts at deceit and manipulation, and while it's easy to judge after the fact, these women were victims in their own right. Their lives tragically altered forever. Elizabeth, it seems like the rare, the opposite of the rest of these uh, wives, for sure. Uh, I think she had good intentions. She tried to stop what was going on. She tried mm -hmm. to report it. Yeah. And uh, she definitely didn't just keep a blind eye towards it, for yeah. sure. It's like she's got her head on her shoulders. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, because Bundy didn't get it off. <laughs> 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 That's not respectful. I'm sorry. I apologize to Ted Bundy fans. All right. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry to Ted Bundy fans. <laughs> Get it right. They're stands, not fans. Stands. All right. All right. All right. All right. You know, Elizabeth. <laughs> sorry to Ted Bundy fans. All right. Uh, I, I thought the Netflix documentary did an amazing job. Depicting her on character. her part, on her character, yes. I didn't, they didn't do great on Bundy. They made mm, no on uh, Zach Efron. Yeah, Zach. I I thought he was great, great in it. He was a good actor. They just didn't sh the director, the editing. Right for for what they what they were trying to portray, he did a good job. However, they were not true to character. Yes, and they also they they almost idolized him. You know what I mean? Like right. they they're not idolized. What's the word? Sexualized. Yeah, they definitely sexualized him. But they didn't. They didn't portray him as a evil person. They mm. he seemed almost like mysterious and sly and, right. and cool. They didn't. They well, that's what I mean by they didn't portray him correctly. Yes, you know what I mean for sure. Because Ted Bundy could be like like all suave and like, hey, you know, oh, you know, can can you help me with these? You know, I got I got I got crutches. Can you help me get my books in my car and kind of shit? And then like in a fucking instant, in a fucking rage, I'm gonna fucking murder you. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking, like, rip your fucking head off and, like, all this other kind of shit. That's yeah. a lot of drinks. Yeah, yeah. I just took one when you said it, too. They did do a good job portraying her as somebody who tried yeah. to, uh... They tried hard. The police just didn't... Yeah. Didn't, yeah. didn't take her side. Mm -hmm. They didn't listen to her. You know, and, and she she questioned him, too, you know? She was like, you know, like we said in the story, you know, what's the plaster of Paris for? What's the crutches for? What's the hatchet for? You know what I mean? She was, so she was actually asking all these questions. And then it was when it came on the news that this guy named Ted, who drives a fucking Volkswagen Beetle the same color as her fucking boyfriend, is walking around with a cast on his arm and with a crutch or yeah. whatever the fuck it is. You know what I mean? And she's like, eh, let me call the cops. Yeah. You know? And they're basically like, oh, uh, what was it? What was it? It's a cream colored. Uh, Volkswagen bug. Oh no, we have a yellow Volkswagen bug. Sorry, wrong person. Thank you anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you please not bother us with your, you know, yeah. dumb uh, 
Can you not bother us with your facts? I will say this though. <laughs> I will play <laughs> I will play devil's advocate yeah. and say the difference between dating somebody and being married to them mm. in a long lasting relationship mm. is totally different though. It's a lot easier yeah. for her to call the police and be like you know what I mean? Than right. some of these wives who their entire life and world revolves around these mm. these uh, these men. But as str- as strong as she was, uh, as Elizabeth was, she still had like a, a, a sense of, of vulnerability. Oh, for sure. About her, you know what I mean? Did I say that right? Which Vul- I, vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yes, you said. Because that. even up until the end, you know, where she asked Bundy, you know, did you ever try to kill me? And you know, he tells her, well, uh, yeah, you know. She was like, I was kind of hoping that that wasn't, tr- you know, yeah. that he didn't, but he actually did. Yeah, but the, the vulnerability was one of the things that attracted him to her in right. the first place. Yeah. Imagine that. There's that skit again. <laughs> you weren't going to kill me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, you, were you going to kill me, like, at least <laughs> once? Were you going to try at least once? Oh, you did? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ted, just stop it. <laughs> oh, you really? I do think it's a little ironic that she uh, was like, oh, she, you know, she wanted to go live her life away from public eye, and she tried to hide. In but, obscurity. But she wrote a book, too, you know, on the way out. Make a little cash. I mean, you gotta live, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I want to just, you know, I just care about my privacy. Well, but... she used that in a, in, a, in a pen name. She didn't use her real name. Yeah, but they knew who, it, who they knew who it was. Everybody knows knew who it was. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't hate. I, it. Hey, listen, I'm all for yeah. writing books, you know, with, and you have a story to tell. I'm all, I'm all for that. It's, yeah. it's the, you know, I don't, I don't want to be in the spotlight. Right, I'm gonna write this book and yeah, like Dahmer's dad. He never said he wanted to live in the spotlight. He wanted to address the things and 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 talk. You know, he was on Dateline. He was doing all these things. Dahmer's dad. Dahmer's dad. He was 100% capitalizing on that shit. Oh, sure, but he never, he didn't claim that he was trying to hide from the, oh, I, the public is too much. You know what I mean? Mm. He was he was up front in the conversation. He was on the news every day, talking to people, interviews. Right. Like, so it, that, that's fine. You write your book. You know what I mean? Where she's like, I just want to ah, fade away into obscurity. And then let me just get this check real quick. <laughs> wow. I don't know. Just, you know, breaking down, you know. We drink. Are you drinking Haterade over there? No, yeah. I mean, could be Haterade. <laughs> All right. So that'll do it for this episode of Love is Blind or Love on the Rocks. Which, which one do you like? Fuck. Right? One more drink before Fuck, we one go. one more drink. Drink up, everybody. I like Love on the Rocks. <laughs> Love on the Rocks. All right. If you like what you heard, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. And don't forget to become one of our amazing <laughs> to become one of the <laughs> amazing yeah, <laughs> to become one of the debauched on Patreon stop go right. go finish, finish and don't forget to become one of the debauched on <laughs> Patreon shut up dude uh, just get through it just get through it <laughs> <laughs> or, or to become a barista on Buy Me a Coffee, visit visit kernelafpodcast.com oh, backslash support I'm or click on the links in episode description. I'm
Uh, links to our support, socials, merchandise, and more are in the episode description. Or you can visit criminalafpodcast.com for all of your criminal AF needs. Signing off from Studio Chloroform. Keep your head on a swivel and take care till next time. Now, now give me our theme music. See ya. Executive producers for this episode are Christine Rivera, Beth Davis, and Dusty J. Hicks. Associate producers are Paul Hodge, Noah Schultz, Brooke Morgan, Bethany Cooper, and Terry Burke Wolin. Producers are Stephen Day, Trent Gobble, J.D. Driscoll, Devin Dean, Chantal Seislick, Jan O'Donnell, Jessica Lloyd, Lisa Perello, Jenny Crawford, Alicia Knight, Laura Shin, Maria Celine, and Beth Esselman.